Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today we have a Q&A where we check in with experts and warriors with lived recovery experience to answer your recovery-related questions. Now this is all part of our mission to help bring you more recovery wisdom in less time. And the question for today really focuses on how do I work with critical thoughts? Thoughts about food, thoughts about body, or just thoughts about yourself in general. The voice of the eating disorder is filled with critical thoughts and judgments and can be so harsh. I like to just call it a mean bully. And when you're living with this mean bully in your head for so long, you can start to believe it. You can start to think that it's truth, that it's reality, and that you are what it says you are. But that is not true. And what really helps in combating this voice is self-compassion. And this Q&A is part of a series on self-compassion. Now, I have to say, this is one of the most important and valuable skills to practice in recovery, and it has actual components. There are practical, tangible things you can do to increase your self-compassion. In our last Q&A, we touched on the first component of self-compassion. We tackled the dilemma of feeling like your body is the problem or you are the problem by learning the first component of self-compassion, which is common humanity. Now, common humanity is about opening up your awareness to the fact that you are not alone in your struggles with food and body image. There is somebody listening to this show at the exact same minute you are listening to this show, thinking the same thoughts about their food and body as you. So you are not alone in your struggle. While this doesn't mean your struggles go away or remove the fact that they are hard or that they're challenging for you, it does take away the mindset of isolation. It just gives you more room to see the solutions because you aren't the only person to have come across this problem, meaning other people have been where you are and have gotten out of where you are. Therefore, it's possible. Everything is figureoutable. I will link to the last Q&A below in the show description so you can be cued in and included in this entire series. Now, in today's Q&A, Dr. Anne Safi Biasetti is back to teach us the second component of self-compassion. I've done a lot of work with Dr. Anne over the years. She is the author of one of our featured book club reads, Befriending Your Body, A Self-Compassionate Approach to Freeing Yourself from Disordered Eating. She's also a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in eating disorders and body image issues. And she's been in practice for over 30 years. In this time, she's established herself as a leading expert in self-compassion and eating disorders. From her doctoral dissertation, which focused on the self-compassion spectrum of eating disorder recovery theory, that's a mouthful, to her awakening self-compassion card deck, to her befriending your body online program, 
Dr. Anne knows the ins and outs of self-compassion in eating disorder recovery, which is why she is with us today to talk about the second component of self-compassion, and that is mindfulness. Mindful eating, mindful breathing, mindful movement. There are so many ways that we can bring mindfulness into our life. As we cover mindfulness today, Dr. Ann will help you understand its relationship to self-criticism and how the practice of mindfulness can help you work with critical thoughts in a productive way. And in order to help you go from theory to practice to mastery, Dr. Ann has an embodiment practice you can bring into your daily life. Now, as all you listeners know, I absolutely love definitions. I absolutely love the way words can frame something. And so I find it so helpful, whether that's a definition or looking at the origin of the word or just an understanding, like, what does this mean? So if we look at the simplest definition of self-compassion, it is, how would you treat a friend? It's as simple as that. How would you treat someone that you love, that you care for, that you respect, that you want the best for? How would you treat them? And there are people in your life that you can call to mind and you think, how would I treat them? What would I say to them? How would I hold space for them? How would I interact with them when they're going through a moment of suffering or a really hard time in their life? More often than not, when you're struggling with an eating disorder, you are not treating yourself like a friend. You're treating yourself like an enemy or your body like an enemy and not a friend. I was constantly picking myself apart. And I actually think that I thought that that would make me do better, be better, that through this self-criticism and through this judgment and self-criticism, I would be able to create change. But it never worked that way because in reality, you can't hate yourself into a version of yourself that you love. When we criticize ourselves, it fuels feelings of shame and feelings of unworthiness. And the more attention we give to the negative self-talk, the more we actually believe it. And the more we believe it, the more it affects our self-image and self-esteem. And this space of low self-esteem and self-worth fuels eating disorder behaviors. And it becomes this cycle. And the thing that can help you break this cycle is self-compassion. It truly can help you break out of this cycle. I've seen self-compassion transform the lives of so many of my students who've gone through the School of Recovery and the Courage Club. And at first, pretty much all of them are like, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, that's like, you know, I don't think that's going to work for me. They are always so skeptical and that being compassionate with oneself is actually going to make you go backwards in life because it will take away your drive and your ability to reach your goals. However, it actually has been scientifically proven to be otherwise. This is the coolest thing about self-compassion. Research shows that when people treat themselves kindly rather than critically, they are more likely to believe they can improve, correct mistakes, and re-engage with goals after veering off course, meaning re-engage in your recovery if you have a relapse. Self-compassion is really what is at the heart of having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Self-compassion is the skill of all skills to master in life, and the benefits go well beyond helping you recover from an eating disorder. So when you apply self-compassion to your life, you get an increase in overall well-being a boost in feelings of self-worth and resilience, higher emotional intelligence, greater overall satisfaction in life, more social connections, decreased anxiety, depression, and fear of failure, increased motivation to improve on mistakes, and improved body image. Seriously, self-compassion is where it's at. 
And the coolest thing about it is something that you can learn and improve on. You can build this muscle. It can get stronger and stronger. And there are actual components and practices you can call on to strengthen your self-compassion. Now, I started out with very little self-compassion. I was a total newbie. And now I consider myself a daily practitioner. I call on self-compassion every single day. Because you know what? Life can be challenging. It can be stressful. It can be overwhelming. It can be hard. We can be so spread thin on a daily basis. Self-compassion is central to the work that I do with myself and with anyone in recovery. This is literally the first thing we start to learn when I'm working with someone who wants to recover from an eating disorder. It's how can you build more self-compassion? How can you strengthen your muscle of self-compassion? And mindfulness is one of those components. Let's hear how Dr. Ann defines mindfulness and a practice that you can use to recognize how present self-compassion is in your life at this moment in time. I'd like to introduce you to the simple definition of mindfulness. Mindfulness is drawing your attention to the moment on purpose with a compassionate understanding. So what mindfulness is really uh, about is it is the second component to self-compassion. In the teachings, we usually say both mindfulness and self-compassion equal two wings of the bird. Without one or the other, the bird can't fly. So before we begin in understanding self-compassion some more, I'd like to take you through a practice that will help you to recognize how present self-compassion is in your life at this point or not. This is where we will be taking our awareness inward and this practice will help you to begin to do that. So I'd like you to take a comfortable seat and close your eyes. If you're not comfortable closing your eyes, you can just keep them gently shut with a fixed gaze and take a couple of release breaths in through your nose and exhale through your mouth. And now I'd like you to call to mind the last time a friend came to you with any kind of problem, struggle, suffering that he or she may have been going through. So really call this person to mind. I'd like you to call the visual image of this friend. Maybe recall the moment, what the moment was like. Were you in person? Were you on the phone listening to your friend? And see if you can recall the words your friend was sharing with you about this problem, about this suffering. And if you now can even feel in this moment, perhaps what that moment felt like, you may even be able to feel it in your body right now, what it was like to offer support to your friend, the words that you used, Maybe there was even a gesture that you used. If you were on the phone, maybe there was that feeling of wanting to reach out to the person and hug them or touch them in some way. If you were in person, maybe you did that. Maybe you reached a hand out or gave a hug. I'd like you to recall that moment and those words. And now in this next moment, I'd like you to consider when you're struggling with a problem, a suffering, a self-critical thought, and I'd like you to pay attention and ask yourself the question, do I treat myself the same way that I treat my friend? Do I offer the same words internally? Do I offer the same embrace? This is the start of mindfulness and being aware of how much 
or how little self-compassion we may be starting with. And even with that question now, I want you to be real careful that that inner critic didn't arise quickly here, right? Because when I take my clients through this practice, it's very easy for that inner critic to come really alive and say, I can't believe I don't treat myself the same way. And we can get critical about the lack of self-compassion and we certainly don't want to do that in this moment. Really what we're doing is we're beginning to call our attention to what we need to be aware of. We cannot begin to work with what we hold in mind unless we become aware of it. Becoming more mindful means calling your attention to what you need to be aware of. Like, geez, I say really mean, hurtful things to myself. I definitely don't treat myself the way that I treat my friends. Yet. Always love to throw the word yet at the end of the sentence because it is possible to start to treat yourself in a kinder, gentler way. Now, the inner critic can be so sneaky. So, so sneaky. And as Dr. Ann mentioned, we get critical about being critical at our lack of self-compassion, which is why this practice that Dr. Ann shared is so helpful to determine exactly where you stand with your inner critic right now and how much room there is for you to increase your self-compassion. So I love to see this as there is opportunity for growth. Dr. Ann has another practice to help you create space to contain difficult thoughts and feelings that come up when you become more mindful of your inner critic. Now, it's possible that the voice of the inner critic has been so entangled and so entwined with you that you think it's you, but it's not. You are not your thoughts. This is why mindfulness is so important to learn and practice. It puts you in the role of an observer witnessing the critical thoughts. And from there, you have the choice on how you react. So when you can put more space in between the stimulus the thought, and your reaction, the better. That is when you have the opportunity to make different decisions. This is where your freedom lies. The more we hold tightly to a self-critical thought, the more it persists. We create a lot of resistance, and the more we resist something, it persists. The more it's going to go around and around in your mind as you hold onto it tightly and we're trying to avoid it. And unfortunately, what happens as we try to avoid these kinds of thoughts is, well, I think we know they keep coming back and coming back, almost like they have to get our attention. In this next practice that I'll be taking you through, we are going to practice a way to form some containment and build some compassionate tolerance around these difficult thoughts and difficult feelings that may arise as you become aware. So I call this practice the practice of containment. It's also really a practice of building tolerance around difficult thoughts and emotions. So now I'd like to invite you into the gesture of containment and building tolerance. So take all 10 fingers together and press your fingertips together tightly. So you feel some resistance forming there, but not too much because you have all this wide open space, right? And if you place a self-critical thought there, now I'd like you to take a deep breath and with this self-critical thought or this body image thought, whatever it may be, 
your relationship with food in there, anything you're struggling with that goes around and around in your mind, closing your eyes, take a breath, and simply say the words. This is how it is right now. It is like this. This is how it is just right now. It is like this. Imagine that thought moving freely in and out because this is just what it is in this very moment. It can move, it can move freely through, just like your breath. What we resist persists. The more you avoid self-critical thoughts, the more they keep coming back to fight for your attention. This hand gesture of containment can help you embody a way to handle those difficult moments and have them flow through you more freely and build greater tolerance for the times they are there. If you've ever practiced yoga, there's a lot of hand gestures called mudras. Mudra is a Sanskrit term that means gesture or attitude. So when you're able to embody this gesture, you're giving yourself an attitude of non-reactivity. So for this gesture of containment, where you place the five fingertips of your right hand gently against the five fingertips of your left hand, you have this space that you create. Now with this gesture, your palms do not touch. The heels of your hands do not touch. It's only the fingertips that are touching. You bring your right hand fingertips to your left hand fingertips. Thumb goes to the thumb, pointer to the pointer, middle to the middle, index to the index, and pinky to the pinky. So I like to think about this as, <laughs> if you've watched The Simpsons, Mr. Burns, he always has his hands like this. <laughs> and talk about someone who could totally learn self-compassion. Like talk about someone who could use a little more self-compassion in their lives. But this is the gesture of containment. And it's something you can seriously do when you are at dinner. You, you could slip that gesture of containment underneath the table while you hold your hands together. It's something that you can do when you are just thinking about something, when you're at your desk or when you're watching TV, when you're opening up the fridge and wondering, what should I eat? You can do this gesture of containment just to allow yourself to anchor into that moment and recognize that there is space, space between you and your self-critical thought. This is how it is right now. It is like this. Dr. Ann explains specifically how the practice of containment and building tolerance can help you with your food and body struggles. I hear this so much from my clients uh, about these thoughts of, I wanna eat, but I'm so scared. I'm so scared to go out of my safety zone of uh, foods that I have taken out of my life for so long, or I'm scared to go to a party and uh, be able to you know, be with others and food at the same time, or I can't stand the way I look. All these self-critical um, internal voices that actually keep you out of life, right? Keep you from engaging with and enjoying the things that you used to love. And this is why we want to start taking a practice like this, a practice that starts creating some equanimity or non-reactivity around those self-critical thoughts. So if you just stop and pause in the moment and do this practice of containment, it will help you to soften that critical moment take a break with it, 
and replace it with non-reactivity, which is so important as we go further in understanding now how to apply self-compassion to your everyday life. A huge part of mindfulness is observing without needing to change. It's not about being attached to the thoughts. So imagine these thoughts are like these big puffy clouds in the sky that just move along. They come and they go. And when we don't attach ourselves to the thought, we have more freedom to make different decisions. Decisions that ultimately support your recovery. So you do not have to grasp and hold on to a critical thought. You can create space for it to be, to exist. Accept that it's there and acknowledge that this is how it is right now. This is how it is right now. It is like this. When we argue with reality, we lose. When we accept reality, we have greater power to change. And that was always a super interesting and paradoxical thing about acceptance for me. Because I was like, no, if I accept it, it won't change, right? Because I want it to change. And because it was, I was not happy with the reality I was in. I wasn't content with the reality. I would think that acceptance meant giving up or giving in. But in actuality, acceptance in a surrendered state of just allowing what is to be what is, it's when creative solutions and new ways of thinking emerge. It's literally you're dropping all the tension. And when you drop all the tension, you stop the fighting, you stop the resisting. And then more energy gets liberated, more energy gets freed up for this natural process of change to unfold in your life because you're no longer fighting it. You're no longer resisting it. And mindfulness will really help you with this process because you can start to see where you're overly attached, overly identified with things. And as you start to detach from it and create more space, then you are able to let in new ways of being and thinking and doing, which include greater self-compassion. So let's go over what we've learned so far about self-compassion. In part one, we covered the first component of self-compassion. This is called common humanity which is understanding that you are not alone in your suffering. You are not isolated in your experience. Now today we covered the second component of self-compassion and that is mindfulness. You have the ability to build containment, tolerance, and equanimity around a self-critical thought or a moment of self-criticism. Remember the words, this is how it is right now. It is like this. Instead of over-identifying with a thought, you can apply mindfulness. You can observe the thought from a more detached perspective, creating space between you and it. You are not your thoughts. You are the observer of your thoughts. In our next Q&A, Dr. Ann will be with us again to introduce you to the final component of self-compassion. And from there, you will have greater understanding of how all three components weave together and can be called on in moments of stress, overwhelm, and suffering. Stay tuned for the third and final component of self-compassion in our next Q&A. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. 
And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Warrior.